0: Good morning, everyone. We're looking at the book of Exodus, and uh, we're in our second text for this series, and our, our passage for today, as we heard read, is from chapter 2, verses 11 to verse 25. Uh, if you remember where we are in the story, we saw how God miraculously preserved the sons of Israel and multiplied them to become a nation of Israel right now. Not only was God preserving his people but also God was preserving a deliverer to deliver his people from bondage and we saw how Moses at his time of birth was miraculously preserved by God. And in all of this as you see the, the narrator, the story, you see God is in the background God is hardly mentioned in the the first few verses of Exodus. God was at the background, but what we saw was God was working through every detail, even through that. In our text today, what we would be seeing, and I want you to notice along with me, is God would move from the background to the foreground. God would draw near to his people. But this drawing near, as I want you to notice, would be after a long time. It would be after a prolonged time of waiting for the people of God. And as we look at that, I want us to realize that we too are in a prolonged time of waiting. We know We, who are believers in Jesus, we know that Jesus came to deliver us from our sin. He paid the price. And what we are waiting for today is no longer forgiveness of sins, is no longer a right relationship with God, but we are waiting for His return, for Him to come and to take us to be with Him forever, to our eternal home, To spend eternity with Him, in a place where there would no longer be any turmoil, any oppression, any struggle with sin, to that heavenly city whose architect and builder is God Himself. We're waiting for that. We're waiting for our final deliverance, brothers and sisters, and that wait, could seem long. How should we process these times of waiting? What's God doing in all of this? The text today that we have helps us see how we, as we wait for the Lord's final deliverance, should wait for Him. The text encourages us encourages us to to see that in this time of waiting, God doesn't seem distant, but rather God draws near to us. And seeing this, brothers and sisters, I want us to wait on the Lord with hope and with expectant hearts for His deliverance. If you ask me, well, This time of waiting, how does he draw near? God just seems distant. How does he draw near? Our text today teaches us two ways that he draws near to us. Firstly, God draws near by sovereignly orchestrating the events in his people's lives. Chapter 2 verse 11 to chapter 2 verse 22. Look at the text with me. Look at Verse 11, it records one day when Moses had grown up. It just starts right at Moses being a grown up man. He was miraculously saved at his birth and now the text tells us he he has grown up. There's not much detail that is given about his upbringing apart from the fact that he was preserved, he becomes Pharaoh's adopted son and he is there in Egypt. But then, there is another account in the Bible which gives, which throws more detail into what happens during those years. If you turn to Acts chapter 7, Stephen, as he is confronting the Jews for their sin, he recounts these stories. And he recounts especially the story of Moses and what happens to him. And as he tells this story, he he tells us that Moses was 40 years old at this time. What happened in these 40 years? Again, Exodus doesn't give us much details, but Stephen in his speech does. If you look at Acts 7.22, it says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he had the best education. He had the learning about the Egyptian culture. He he knew everything. The heritage, the upbringing was just fantastic. The pleasures that he had to enjoy was just phenomenal. Why was this so significant? What was God doing? during these years of Moses' upbringing God was preparing him to be a deliverer he was getting accustomed to the ways of the Egyptians something that God would use later on for the deliverance of his people God was preparing him through these 40 years to be the deliverer that he wanted him to be And what happens after that? Verse 11, he says, And after these years, when he had grown up, he went out to his people. The author highlights, if you notice, Moses' identification with the people of Israel. He was an Egyptian. He is now adopted as Pharaoh's son. But the text wants us to notice that he, Moses, went to his people, that is the Israelites. It mentions his people twice in that same verse. To emphasize, Moses was identifying himself as an Israelite rather than an Egyptian. And the author of Hebrews, he catches this detail and he tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, Moses, when he was grown up, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. With the wealth, with the comfort, with the education, with the status that he received in Egypt. Moses' identity didn't change. And he's commended for his act, commended for his faith by the author of Hebrews. Moses was careful not to be carried away with the treasures of Egypt, but stayed true to his identity. He put aside those pleasures. He recognized that a deliverance of the people of God was more important than him to enjoy any of those. His eyes were on the deliverance that his people needed. And he identified with them. Verse 11, he continues. He looked on their burdens. He's moved with compassion just like Pharaoh's daughter saw him in that basket. She was moved with compassion and and drew him out. Moses also sees something oppressive happening. He's moved with compassion. But then in his compassion, he does something which doesn't go really well. He sees two people fighting with each other, a Hebrew and an Egyptian, and he goes and he kills the Egyptian. He goes out again the next day, Verse 13. Now he sees two Hebrews fighting. And now he decides and he wants to be a reconciler between these two brothers. He goes and asks, why are you doing this? The one who was offending, he's like, why are you offending him? And his intervention, it quickly goes south. Not only does the Hebrew reject Moses' authority over them, He asks, who made you a prince and a judge over us? But he also threatens Moses by bringing out his secret murder out in the open. And Moses now is is just fearful. Moses' good intention, his sacrifice, the identity that he preserved, you would think would work well. At least Moses thought. It would, but it didn't. Again, in Stephen's account, he says, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they didn't. Soon the news about his murder falls into the ears of Pharaoh and now he also wants to kill Moses. Moses had no choice but to flee from Egypt. Do you see what's going on here? God's deliverer, miraculously saved at birth, wonderfully prepared in all the the ways and customs and the education, had all the right intentions, had the faith, had all the makings of of bringing a mighty deliverance, was rejected by his own people. And now he flees from the land of Egypt. He's unable to deliver God's people. The reader is forced to ask the question, what is God up to? The story was just building up beautifully, thinking that okay there's going to be a deliverance that is coming and suddenly there's a twist to the whole story, a twist that we don't expect. Is God not working his deliverance? God was still at work. God was still at work. He prepared Moses in Egypt through these incidents. He taught him that the deliverance that God would bring isn't going to be through Moses' own might, Moses' own hand. The deliverance has to wait for some more time. The deliverance happens in God's timeline. Moses learned the lesson. It was a hard lesson that he learned through rejection, through pain of of leaving the country of his upbringing, but definitely a lesson that was worth learning. Verse 15, it tells us, He fled to the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now the story shifts from Egypt to Midian. Verse 16, daughters of a Midian priest, they come to fill water. What does Moses do? He sees some oppression again going on. There are shepherds who are oppressing these women and and he gets into the action again. Moses isn't one who would see oppression and stay silent. He's already he's seen oppression twice and he's tried to intervene. Now again he sees oppression here at Midian and he intervenes, but this time his intervention is different. He doesn't just kill those guys, he drives them away. Probably learned his lesson. He gets married and has a son. Names him Geshom and interestingly the name, the author records the meaning of the name for us. A Hebrew name which meant Sojourner. Moses was recalling and recollecting who his identity was, what his identity was. He was referring to his own sojourning in Egypt, he says, I have been a sojourner. His identity didn't change just because a place changed. Still remembered that. And even in Midian, he was mindful to remind himself in the way that he named his son. He realized that Egypt, though it was the place of his upbringing, was not his home. He was just sojourning there. He would realize that there is a deliverance that is still needed. Deliverance that is needed of himself and the people of God. He realized that he wasn't the mighty deliverer that he thought himself to be. Moses' plan didn't go well. He's now far away without any way to to deliver God's people. But not God's plan. God was sovereign over all these actions and he was still orchestrating the events in Moses' life. In spite of his rejection, in spite of him fleeing away, God was still preparing him. Again, if you read the account of Stephen, he tells that the years that Moses spent in Midian, was again 40 years. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in in Median. 40 years of of God being silent and no sign of deliverance of God's people. Then what was God doing in these 40 years? It was a time of preparation again of God's deliverer. Just like He prepared Him in Egypt, He prepares Him In Median. And you ask how? Before the exodus of Israel, that is the departure of Israel from Egypt, Moses had to have his own exodus from Egypt. He had to be delivered from an evil king. And God was actually preparing him through this mini exodus for the real exodus that would happen from Egypt to the promised land. The land that he spent these years was the same land that he would take the people of Israel through later on. What God was doing was just getting him familiar with the the terrain, the place that he would lead a whole nation out of deliverance. Just like Moses in Midian delivers the daughters of this priest Ruel from the hands of of the oppressive shepherd, he would deliver God's people from the hand of an oppressing land, an oppressive king. Just like he provides water for the daughters of Ruel, he would provide water to the Israelites as they wander through the wilderness. God would use him to do all of these things again. And what was God doing right now? He was taking him through this mini-exodus to prepare him for the real deal. For the great act of deliverance that he would achieve through this man. God was giving him a glimpse of how he would use him to bring the deliverance for his people. I don't think Moses had a clue of what God was doing as he was waiting. These 40 years that he spent... God is at work and drawing near to us even when we least expect it. He's sovereignly working out His plans and purposes. You see this pattern continue. Many years later, there would be another deliverer, Jesus, who would be born again in miraculous circumstances. Who would just like Moses be preserved from an evil king. Who would increase in wisdom and stature and grow in favor with God and man. Has a right of bringing. Who would spend 40 days in the wilderness preparing himself for his ministry to God. Who would come to his people to deliver them, having compassion on them. He came to his own and his own received him not, they rejected him, however, God used that same rejection to pave a way for a mighty deliverance for all his people. The deliverance that God provides through Jesus is a far greater deliverance that Moses provided for the people of Israel. What he did for the people of Israel was just a glimpse of what Jesus would do. Moses brought them out of, of the bondage of physical slavery to, to Egypt. What Jesus would do is bring us out, bring out his people from their slavery and bondage to sin. Far greater, far more worth, far more value. And as you. See how God orchestrates these events in times like these, times of prolonged waiting, times of disappointment, you know for sure that God is at work. And friends, if you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus, you've not heard about what it means to believe in Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus has brought the deliverance that you need. You are in bondage to sin. Whether you know it or not, you are tied up and enslaved to sin. Bible says you are dead in sin if you don't know Jesus. But the good news is this. Jesus made a way to save you from that bondage. This sin not only just enslaves you, but the consequences of it is is devastating. It leads to eternal punishment in hell if we don't look to Christ, if we don't look to Jesus for our, our salvation. And Jesus has done it all. So look to Him. Repent of your sin and believe in Him if you've not done that already. If you're here as a believer... Being recipients of that deliverance that Jesus has achieved for you on the cross by paying the price that was needed to be paid. When you had to die, He took your place and He paid the price for you. Being recipients of that deliverance, we're looking forward to another deliverance. Our final deliverance. Deliverance from all our earthly struggles. Deliverance from our sin, our pain, our toil, our oppression. And we are waiting for that day when we would enter the land of promise, enter the land of rest that God has promised. But the time of waiting is long, is it not? The end just doesn't seem at sight. But the crucial question to ask is not, When is that wait getting over? But rather, how are we processing these times of waiting, times of difficulty? Do we see these times of waiting as God's preparation for us, for His mighty act of deliverance? Do we see God orchestrating events in our life, beautifully so, all for His glory, we might not be prepared in the same way that Moses was prepared. Moses had a definitive purpose in God's plan, in God's redemptive history. And he was going to use him to deliver the people of Israel from oppression in Egypt. The preparation that Moses had in Midian was a foreshadowing of how he would deliver the people of Israel from Egypt to the promised land Canaan. That act of Moses delivering God's people from Egypt to Canaan again was not the real deal. That event was foreshadowing Jesus' deliverance of his people from bondage to sin to take them to the land of rest which we are looking forward to today. So our preparation might not be the same as Moses's, but then our, the, the tools that God uses in our life, to prepare us, is just the same. Jesus, who is greater than Moses, has accomplished His plan of salvation and delivered us. Because of what Jesus did now, we have that change of identity, we are being prepared, we are being prepared individually, and we are being prepared collectively as His church And all of this in preparation for His final return. And right now, as we look at ourselves, as we look at our identity, our identity is we're sojourners. We're sojourning. This is not our home. We are on our way, looking forward to that ultimate deliverance, our eternal home. And we're at a time where God is preparing us and shaping us into the image of His Son. He's pruning us. He's disciplining us. He's refining us. He's sanctifying us. He's at work. He's drawing near. He's sovereignly orchestrating events in your life for your good and for His glory. We're at a time where He's preparing us to play our roles. In his plans of deliverance. The tools that he uses, as I mentioned, are the same rejection, suffering, persecution. But as we see in the life of Moses, God uses even these difficulties to prepare us. These are the the circumstances, the situations that God uses to shape us, to sanctify us. See what God is doing in your lives, brothers and sisters, as we wait for His deliverance. Times of waiting are for our preparation, rather than times of frustration, times of losing hope. Don't get bogged down by sickness or or difficult relationships with rejection or or painful toil, which today might look to you as obstacles in front of you from living out that identity that you have in Christ, but rather look at these as tools that God is using to shape you, to prepare you for that final deliverance. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the coming of Jesus. He's working in us. He's constantly shaping us through these difficult times. So don't get bogged down as you see this this sickness that is just not going. Or this difficult relationship which just doesn't seem to go anywhere. Times of waiting, we trust in Him with expectant hope. Because He's drawing near more than you think. He is. He knows the end from the beginning and He knows what He is doing with each of us individually and with all of us collectively as His church. Don't try to spend time deciphering what could God be potentially doing with this difficulty that I have. It's just futile. God's wisdom is just way higher than ours. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what He's doing. All that we can do is after we spend a few years, when we look back and see what God has done, we're just stumped. We're just in awe of what God has done. And even that is just a small glimpse of what what God would eventually do in our lives. So it's just time for us to expectantly hope in Him, put our trust in Him through those times of difficulty because we know for sure God is at work God is preparing his people trust in his perfect wisdom and submit to his will let the attitude that John Wesley had be ours this is what John Wesley says I'm no longer my own but yours put me to what you will Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Entrust yourselves to your faithful creator how does God draw near he he draws near by sovereignly working things out in his people's lives secondly God draws near in response to his people's prayers verse 23 to 25 the focus now shifts from Midian to Egypt again Moses now seems to be comfortably placed, he's no longer in turmoil, he's now married, has a child, has a family, he seems to be at peace right now, but then what the people of Israel are facing in Egypt is very different from what Moses is facing. Their turmoil and their struggle has no change. It seems just relentless what they were facing. Through these times of these years. Verse 23. The author says, the king of Egypt dies. And you would think, okay, here's this evil ruler who who is oppressing a people. Possibly, when he dies, there would be a change of situation. And the text tells us: the king of Egypt dies, and the oppression and the suffering continues. No change. Relentless. If you felt that the time of waiting for Moses, 40 years, was long, the time that Israel spent in Egypt was 400 years. Ten generations. And it again begs the question, what is God doing in such times of silence? From what we see in the text, He was teaching his people to depend on him. Verse 23 The people of Israel groaned. They cried out for help. They cried for rescue. The pain and the oppression was relentless, it was harsh. The previous passage we saw how it was described. And now the people of God, again, because of their identity, are calling out to God. They are groaning. Their prayers are, are more of groanings to the Lord because of the pain that they have. And verse 23 tells us their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. God heard. God remembered his covenant. The covenant that he made to Abraham. One that he reiterated to Isaac and then the one that he reiterated again to Jacob. The covenant where he promises to take them from wherever they are to the land of promise. From slavery, from bondage to the land of promise and, and, and let them dwell there. Verse 25 says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. To know is just a way of saying he had an intimate knowledge of his people. He knew their sufferings. He might have seemed distant. He might have been working in the background all this while. But he saw, he heard, and he knew his people. It wasn't that God had just forgotten his covenant until then. The text just says, just a way of saying that, in a way that we as humans can understand, God reveals himself in ways that we can understand him. Rather, it was a time to apply the covenant promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and God was getting into action. And in his sovereign plan, the way that he would get into action was as his people called out to him in prayer, as his people cried out to him. It was as if he was just holding off until they cried out and now he gets into action. That was his will, that was his plan, and this was the means that God would use to come to his people's rescue. It was through prayer of his people. Prayer of the very people that he had promised to deliver. Notice what's happening through the text. Moses' initiative, however good intention it might have been, it didn't help. Tormenting ruler dying did not help, but prayer made all the difference in God's plan, in God's timeline. Moses saw the oppression, the text says that Moses saw the oppression, he tried his best to deliver, but he had to flee. Contrast that with what happens with God. God saw the oppression and he draws near to deliver his people. This whole story, Moses who was in the foreground and who promised a lot of hope, he now moves to the background and God who was in the background, he now moves to the foreground and he now steps in to act. And how does he begin to act? Through the prayer of his people, as they cry out to him. The act of deliverance was not going to happen through a human hand. The act of deliverance was going to happen through the mighty hand of God. That's what the text teaches us. God drawing near to his people as they wait on him. Just imagine how an Israelite reading this passage for the first time as he was making his way to the promised land, what it would have reminded him of. It was a reminder of how God was drawing near to his people. It, would, it was such an encouragement for them to see how their ruler, how their, the one who was leading them was prepared by God Himself through those years. It was an encouragement for them to continue to trust and put their hope in Him. And that He would come true on His promise to take them to the promised land. Even though there are so many obstacles that come in the way. It was an encouragement for them to cry out to God for help, seeing how their forefathers cried out to God for help and God came near to them. They too needed to see that and cry out to God for help as they faced so many obstacles, so many people oppressing all around and as they were making their way to the promised land. And friends, today as you wait for God's final deliverance. May you find encouragement in these truths. May you find encouragement that God is working, He's preparing, He who promised is faithful. He's taking us through this journey, though we are sojourning, He's taking us through this journey. In our identity as the people of God is shown in the way that we cry out to Him, the way that we groan. Today as you wait, look to God and God alone. No human hero is going to save us and bring about this deliverance. It is God alone. Cry out to Him for deliverance. Times of waiting are times to depend on God rather than give in to sin and to distrust. Today, you might be seeing obstacles in front of you. Big obstacle that you might be seeing in your life is the obstacle of sin. Cry out to Him. As you see this hampering you from making your way, growing in your relationship, being shaped to the image of of Jesus, cry out to Him. As you see pain and suffering, cry out to Him for relief, cry out to Him for meeting your needs, for comfort amidst your suffering. If it's His will to, to relieve you of this pain, He will. Remember, He sovereignly orchestrates events in His people's lives for our good and for His glory. And so cry out, we must. Whether He chooses to deliver us from this temporal pain that we have is His will. But our identity as His people is shown in the way that we depend on Him. And cry out, we must. As the psalmist Cries out, out of the depths, I cry to you. Would you hear? Most importantly, cry out to Him not just for temporal relief, cry out to Him for our ultimate deliverance, cry out to Him to take us home. While our temporal sufferings might seem overwhelming and and all our focus might be there, our identity as the people of God is that we're just sojourners. We are making our way to our eternal home. And as Peter reminds us, set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours at the revelation of Jesus. Don't set your hope on temporal relief, temporal satisfaction, and temporal relief from Sickness or pain or any of it. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours at the coming of Jesus. Learn, brothers and sisters, to cry out in your distresses. Groan and cry out to Him. Why? Because we know He surely listens to us. He surely draws near to us as we pray to Him. David says in Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cries." As one author put it, he hears all our prayers even when they are little more than groanings. He remembers that we belong to him by the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ then He answers our prayers. Not always in the way that we hope or even in the way that we expect, but always in a way that brings Him glory. The covenant that God had made with us is far greater than the covenant that He made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The covenant that he's made with us is sealed by the precious blood of His Son, Jesus. The promise, if you remember, in the covenant to Abraham, was that the people of Israel, His descendants, would enter the promised land. The promise that God has made to us through His Son, Jesus, is that we will enter the land of promise, our eternal home. Until that, we cry out to Him. We recognize this is not our home. We recognize that our deliverance has not yet come. We don't get comfortable, though everyone around us might be comfortably staying and striving to be more comfortable, we don't get comfortable here on earth. But rather our eyes are fixed on our final deliverance, our eternal home. And we cry out, not just as individuals, but we cry out as the people of God, together as His church, come, Lord Jesus, come. Take us. This is our identity. Brothers and sisters, don't see the wealth, the treasure that is around us, and feel and behave as if this is our home. Times of waiting should not cause us to forget our identity. Persist in living out our lives. Cry out. Sufferings of our present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Let's groan together with all creation who's who's expectantly waiting for this new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. But until that, let's recognize God is drawing near to us. He is sovereignly working through our lives. And as His people, we cry out to Him. May God help us.